Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. Welcome. I'm Susan Shereko, and we're going to be talking about extreme disasters today. I just finished a novel called Day After Disaster, and was it just swept me away. I was totally caught up in it for the entire day. I read it cover to cover. So I'm really excited to be able to have an opportunity to speak with the author, Sarah Hathaway, all about her book and her thoughts on how she came to write this book. It's going to be very, very fun. Uh, my perspective, as you know, I, having been a landslide victim, um, has certainly influenced how I respond to her book. And it would probably affect you the same way if, with your own response based on your personal experience. So we do know that lots of people stockpile resources to be better prepared for the unexpected and certainly the devastating things that can happen. But few people face the kind of challenges that Sarah's heroine encounters in this story. Still, there's something about living the experience compared with a fictional tale that's woven against such a backdrop. So I'm very interested in learning more about Sarah and why she has shared her point of view in this format through the eyes of her characters. So it's my pleasure to introduce you to author Sarah Hathaway as we spend some time discussing a day after disaster with her. Sarah is a graduate of the California State University of Sacramento with a profound interest in natural environments. She's extensively researched and practiced survival techniques and utilized forgotten life-sustaining methods that were used generations ago. She, her husband, and two boys live in California, which is probably the perfect playground in which to explore survival scenarios. So please wave your hands to welcome Sarah Hathaway. Hello, Sarah. Hi, Susan. Thanks very much for having me here today. I'm delighted to have you. You know, it's it's so nice to be able to talk with someone about their very own book. It's I did enjoy it. And since some people may not have read it yet, would you take a moment to just give us a, a feel for what the story is about? Sure. The book starts out um, with a girl down in Sacramento, and she goes to work just like any other day. She works down there and lives up in the foothills. And while she's at work, the whole earth experiences ground-shaking earthquakes that change the, the, whole plant, the whole landscape on her. So it's her mission to not only get herself out of where she is trapped, but also get back to find out if her family is still alive, if they survive the disaster as well. So it really bases around family connections and just how important those people in our lives are that sometimes we take for granted. Now, I have to admit, Sarah, that Sarah's experience is far worse than any disaster I had. Um, what, what do you think you were drawn to um, to describe such a devastating scenario? Well, I think where the idea really came from, I just have a big imagination, first of all. So, um, so my imagination just kind of went wild on me. I, I got to just go into my own playground with it. But I wanted to bring to light just how fragile our whole system is 
and how quickly it could change on us. And then we would be stuck relying on skills that we might not have accumulated because they're not so relevant in today's technology-based society. So that was really my draw was to just um, kind of show a big devastation. And beyond that, um, a lot of movies and things like that, they, they lead you right up to the disaster and then you never know what happens after. Or it's like years, 13 years after the disaster happens. So what I wanted to do was start out with a major disaster and then show how the characters are adapting to the changing earth from the time of the disaster on. So I really, I kind of started with the climax of what would be, you know, a climax of a traditional movie. So that was really my inspiration for bringing it on that level. Well, I certainly think you've captured the the that journey very, very well from the moment some, you know, sort of the denial that anything serious has happened that, that we all experience. You know, you've had those things here in California with earthquakes where you're sitting there and feeling the experience and going, okay, is this one I have to worry about or is it is it going to go away quickly? So um, that's the moment that our heroine starts on uh, without knowing just what's happened around her. Um, you certainly have captured the breakdown of society very well and, and also how people come together to deal with it. Uh, what kind of training or experience or reading have you done that prepared you to share the details of survival in such a, it's so much detail? Well, um, growing up, I was just really interested in being with nature. So that really prompted me to really um, hold that belief close as I grew up and entered the working world and everything. It was just uh, my relationship with nature. And then also um, I found through getting so reliant on social media and things like that, that we're starting to lose some of the connections that we had with our neighbors and with our community. Now I'm blessed to live out in the country where I do know my neighbors, but still you can see that, that kind of slipping away so we can just get online and then we can have our whole social network there as opposed to actually doing it in person. So I wanted to show through my story how people would be coming back together and really relying upon each other because, you know, survival in a world like that by yourself is going to be very, very difficult, if not impossible. So that's where a lot of it stemmed from. And now being very interested in the natural world like I am, um, I've done, I've just been exploring. So I was bow hunter, so I know how to break down the animal and things like that. Um, I wanted to learn how to tan hides myself. So, you know, I learned how to do that. And I'm just, I just really like learning. So all of these skills are, are just fun to try and go out and do and see how it was actually done, you know, years ago when it was kind of more taken for granted that that's how, what you had to do to survive. Well, that's I, I can see that. It's really become, you know, it's part of your hobby. It's part of your lifestyle that you enjoy as a backdrop, you know, right. all of this. Now, where do you think we're most fragile? Um, if, if people were going to read this novel and say, oh, I've got to do something, where do you think they should start? With a focus on preparing for a disaster or focusing on what they would do when faced with the actual crisis? Well, through a lot of the research that I've done, no matter how prepared you think you are for a disaster, it's still going to hit you on a level that you've never experienced before. And no matter how much you, you think you're ready, you're still going to be put into a situation where you're just at extreme emotion. 
So it is good to be ready. Don't get me wrong. You want to have like that, that mindset. But really, when you get into it, it's going to be kind of every man for himself. So, um, you know, as far as your own thinking goes, as far as your own, um, can you handle it or are you going to freak out and be hiding in the bushes eating bugs? So my first, Uh. right? So my first um, really big thing that I try to encourage people to do is know your local food supply. Because if you can grow your own food or you know those farmers that are growing that food right outside of your city, it's going to be a lot easier to obtain your food supply if something like this were to happen. We're very reliant upon food that comes from very far away. There's actually um, one of my inspirations is there's a neighborhood by my house, and we're in wine country. So in the front yards of all these neighborhoods are wine are the grapevines. They all grow them out in front of their house. And I thought, you know, how interesting. Couldn't we do that in suburbia? where if you got together with your neighbors, you could grow a big cornfield across there. You could grow a big tomato patch across there. And then everybody in the community could share the goods from what they were growing across their front yards. You know, how how nice would that be to know right where your food came from? And then you're also doing the community thing by coming together with your neighbors and working out a system where everybody gets to share in the goods. So that would be, to me, would be the most important. That's a very good point. I mean, I know that community was key how we responded after we had our landslide. Um, We didn't lose our phone service, so I was able to call for help. Uh, If you didn't have a phone, that would be another situation, but you could walk to your neighbors if you knew them. Um, But that whole breakdown of community, or, you know, if you don't have it, you really are out there trying to, at a loss for what to do in the middle of something as as devastating as that. Um, Do you... I know that this is a pretty, uh, there's a real breakdown of community in your novel, and people have ultimately returned to what I want to call a hunter-gatherer state. Do you think that's actually possible? I do think it's possible because you would be forced to do that at first if there was some kind of a mega disaster. Um, Even if our country were to get hit with like an EMP where our, our our electric grid went down, So you're talking all the refrigeration trucks, all of our computers, things like that. So now you're stuck at your home with just your community, and you really have to figure out how you're going to get food and where you're going to get it from. So knowing what's available in nature right outside your door is really going to be key because those, if you don't have your own food supply going, you don't have your own garden and your own stocks, then you're going to need to know what to eat. Food is going to be king as well as water. So, you know, water is for us out here in California. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly big for me anyway. I'm on a well here, and when it's dry, my well goes dry. Um, so it's – but the other thing that's interesting about that, you say electricity, I also think it's really important, and, and picture that same scenario. If something happened to the grid and it went down or the wires melted, as they sometimes predict would happen – um, I would have no way to work, get the water out of my well because it runs on a pump. And I did have right. an opportunity once to speak to someone, and he said, well, you need a hand pump. And a hand pump? That's <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> right. 400 feet down, my well is at least that deep, um, and that's a long way to have to pump my hand. But you have to get to water. Right, and that, it's going to be key. 
So those things, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a lifestyle we haven't experienced in this country for a very long time. We've had it very, very easy, um, even with the difficulties that we have and with the amount of, um, you know, hungry people that we have in this country, unfortunately, we're still better off than a lot of other countries. So, we, you know, our lives have really been softened. And, you know, how much energy would that take just to pump that well and get that water and then you have to carry it back? You know, it's not coming out of your faucet anymore. And you have to water your garden with that, too. <laughs> so, you so know, that would that's be... That's a lot of work. That's exactly. Lot of work. Yep. So you, you know, in spite of the, the, you know, the dark side of what people faced, um, there's also a great deal of hope in this book. Uh, I enjoyed the, you know, the innovative approaches that, that your characters took as they found the resources that they needed and the faith that they carried with them and that they were drawn to build communities to, to help one another. Um, I think one line I really liked was life does go on. People adapt. They find their old comforts and they rebuild their broken lives. Um, so I wanted to see more of that. You know, I wanted to see more innovation in what they did. How do you think you, we would go about rebuilding trust to establish trade with one another? Because that, that was a big issue. Uh, small communities coming together for immediate supplies, but they couldn't get any bigger because they didn't have the resources. And they didn't trust right. and one another because of looting and things like that. So where do you, where do you start to rebuild that trust? You know, that's the name of the game right there, because you want to take care of your own. But we were, you know, most of us, we were raised with uh, pretty good morals, I would hope, in this country. So, you know, you'd want to try and help out your fellow person, but you also have that back in your mind where I need to survive. I need my children to survive. So the trust is definitely going to be an issue um, as far as it goes. I used in my book, I used the, the things that they could trade to kind of gain that trust. And then, like, you know, you might know a person in that community that could kind of be your liaison to say, hey, you know, these people are good. It's going to be okay. You're definitely going to have to have basically your lawmen in that community where, you know, they, they're looking out for the goods, making sure nobody's stealing medical supplies or stealing food and things like that because that, that would be definitely be top on people's mind. And you'd have to wonder how um, people would, what decisions they would make for personal gain versus societal gain. You know, would they be so apt to take their group and leave because they know it's best for the community or stay and just go into all out battling with each other over the dwindling resources? So that was a, it's a big emotional question in my mind, too. And I um, tried to really just paint that picture and bring it to life so I could get people thinking about it you know, just thinking about it, how, how would you do that? So that's really in the name of the game, Susan, I think is the trust, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is my gun bigger than yours? Well, I guess then you have to trust me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really, I mean, and that, and, and I think, you know, as you point out, the fragility of our society, you know, I've worked on two different projects where people, you know, where the, it was brought out that there are, there are no places to train us in the basic skills we need in this kind of a situation. I mean, people don't even know how to use hammers and saws anymore. They certainly don't use non, you know, manual, non-electric operated tools. They don't know how plumbing works and they don't know how to create electricity. So that's a big, 
I don't want to call it technological gap, but at that moment in time when you have nothing and you have to start to rebuild, that is high technology. So, right, and it's a little late to start using those skills, to start learning those skills when you're there. You know, it's funny, right. I was just at a book signing the other day um, at the local library, and I was just talking about my concepts with people, and one of the ladies, really nice lady, she asked me, how do you start a fire? I thought she was joking. <laughs> like, I, I thought she was joking, because it's just commonplace to me, you know. And so I thought mm-hmm. she was joking, so I'm like, well, I'd use my BIC. And she looked at me like like I had, you know, three eyes, and I'm like, I'd use my lighter. She's like, no, how would you, like, really start a fire if you didn't have a lighter? So I had to go through, you know, well, you can use steel wool and a battery. You can, you know, use the flint and magnesium. <laughs> and here I thought she was joking at first because to me it just seems uh, so so natural that that's something you would know. But a lot of people don't. And and what a basic skill that you're going to need. I mean, you got to know how to make fire and you got to know how to make clean water. Yes. So those are those are two very basic things that I think it's to rebuild, to to operate any kind of uh, you know tools to to do anything. You're going to have to know how to the the most basic skills going. I think what was it you mentioned this to me when we first talked about the Reader's Digest book Back to Basics, in which yes. we really talk about these things. Yes, that book is um, one of my Bibles that I live by. Um, it takes you through, you know, how to build your house from the ground up, how to do your toilet system, how to, um, you know, garden, how to preserve, how to um, take down an animal, how to skin an animal, wilderness survival, boat survival. It really has it all in there. It is like the homesteader's Bible. And um, it's just a resource that I use and use and refer back to. It's kind of just my my go-to book. And that's where I learned to tan hides and where I learned to do a lot of the things that I do in life. So, And one really cool feature of that book is it has all of our traditional holidays in it from back, you know, back in the day, our very traditional holidays and how to make like um, how to do your pumpkin for Halloween without just carving it. They used to like plug vegetables into it and things like that to make the face how to make a corn husk doll um, and play marbles and things like that. It's really, really interesting. I, I just dig on it. That's, that's kind of my go-to yeah. resource. Instead of going to your Game Boy or your uh, you know, computer game, how to play marbles, something as simple as that. Interesting. Right? They have like how to play the bounce the ball off the stairs game in there. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> if you need directions for that, uh, I don't know. <laughs> now, wait, you see, do you see a place in this survival world uh, above the safety and survival mentality, which is where we all start? I, I, no matter who we are, when we're hit with that kind of a disaster, we revert back to our most basic needs. We've got to be safe before we can start to rebuild and get back on with our lives. But do you, do you find a way to incorporate faith and um, understanding the power of the subconscious mind to over, help you overcome such you know, devastating odds against you? Well, I was raised Roman Catholic. So um, faith has a big part in my life. Um, I'm not the kind of person that's going to go out and push it on you if that's not your belief. Um, I believe we live in America. America was founded on religious freedom beliefs, so everybody's free to believe what they want to. But in my writing, um, 
you know, God does come through because at that point when you're faced with those kind of decisions, who are you going to turn to for guidance? You know, you're going to turn to the Lord above. So um, I really wanted to bring that in, but I didn't want to slam it down people's throats either. I didn't want them to think, well, you know, this is just a religious book and whatever. So um, it just comes out naturally in my writing because that's my background. And this book was really, it was really my story. I never intended to publish it. I was doing a lot of business writing at the time and I needed an escape from all the very formatted writing. I'm a very creative person and, and my writing is where my creativity shines. So I needed that outlet. So, yeah, so faith does appear in my book, but, you know, that's because it's my story. It's, it's the fictional me, basically. And um, so that's why I felt it was important because um, that's where I think a lot of people would be turning to to find that strength to go on when you're faced with those high-stress conditions. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Of course, I come from that perspective anyway. That was a key part of what's happened in my life since that landslide occurred. So I definitely think we do find a great deal of strength in that connection. I I actually had the feeling as if I was having my hand held through the entire experience. So it's that sort of, I have a great faith from that situation. And uh, I, I do believe that the creation of society and moving forward is linked somehow to our connection one to one another. Uh, and uh, I think that's you know, something I would emphasize in my own work, not not necessarily yours, but in my work uh, as, as part of what I do. Um, right. You also, yeah, it's just you know, a good, both, good place to draw from. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, I know you've had a really good response to your book, and, and you're, you're going to be taking it uh, to the next level. I think you're going to have a podcast about this? Yep, my my podcast that? my podcast actually launched this week. It's called oh, The Changing Thank you. Thank you. It's on iTunes and Stitcher. And it's called The Changing Earth Podcast. And what I do in the podcast is I take you through the book chapter by chapter. But after the chapter, I invite a survival professional to come on and talk about one of the survival concepts from that chapter. So it's a great way to not only be entertained but also be educated at the same time in a lot of these basic survival um, concepts that a lot of people haven't been exposed to. And so I really wanted to write my book from a novice point of view to get people to open their eyes a little bit and just start thinking about the fragility. I didn't want it to, um, you know, sometimes the prepper stigmatism or whatever gets looked at a little negatively. So I wanted to do this from a very novice point of view to really hit the mainstream of, of folks out there who are thinking about these kinds of things. So in my podcast, I really bring that to life by sharing my story with you and then inviting one of my, you know, survival connections that I've made through this process, um, some really great people coming on my show. And the, the interviews have just been a blast to do. I've met so many wonderful people, and I've learned so much along the way. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Now you're also finishing the second volume of – I I gather Day After Disaster is part of something you call the Changing Earth series. Right. And you you have another book that's coming out soon about that as well. Yes. So the Changing Earth series is going to follow um, the changes that are happening on the planet and how the people are adapting to it through the eyes of this this family, this one character and her family. So um, the next one is at the editor right now. 
I haven't decided on a title for it yet. I'm thinking I'm going to call it Without Land, but so that gives you kind of a sneak peek. But um, I haven't finalized that decision yet, so we'll see where that goes. But it is at the editor right now, so I'm excited about getting that book out. Everybody's just been driving me crazy asking me when the next one's coming out. So I, I'm getting there. <laughs> hey, we have to know what happened to, to Erica. <laughs> you know, you get very attached right. to Erica and how she gets through this and what happens. So I think that uh, we all want to know. Yeah. Um, now, now, Sarah, I generally have an exercise that that I ask people to do at the close of each one of our my podcasts, and and it's inspired in some way by the topic of the day. So, I'm going to ask you if you were to recommend an activity that would help readers and listeners prepare for a serious disaster. What would it be? Okay, so the first step I would take is head on over to my website. It's authorsarahfhathaway.com. I have a go bag essentials guide there, and it takes you through everything that you should have in a pack to put on your back if something should happen. This way, you're not one of the people walking down the street with a garbage bag over your shoulder. This way, it gives you a little bit more confidence, and at least you know that you have with you the tools you need to survive if you need to. One of the things I really want to highlight, if they don't go over there and grab my go bag guide, is make sure you have a life straw. It's called a life straw. They're about $20. You need to have one for each family member. With these straws, you could drink from a puddle. As long as there's not industrial contaminants in the water, you can purify the water, and they do up to 250,000 gallons per straw. So it's a really great tool to have. if You need to walk out your door and survive because you're going to need that water. The second thing that I would say is get out there and start learning and training. There are so many resources online. Start learning, but don't only learn it. Go practice it and train it because you don't want to be practicing if something were to happen. My third tip is to get in shape. Get your body tuned so that it can handle the stresses of a life like that and it can handle, uh, you know, just what is going to be required of you at that point. Even the best shape we could get in now when you're pumping all that water out of your tank to try and keep yourself alive or you're out there stomping the woods, it's going to take a toll on your body and you need to be ready for that. And so that's my, my big other thing. And, and uh, along with getting in shape for women, it's essential that we learn a really good skill that's going to be useful and that you um, learn some self-defense because it will be a very difficult world for women especially and they need to be strong in mind, body, and spirit. Wow, those are great tips. My goodness. Um, I'm, I'd just like to add one that sort of goes into what, what I think you would feel is important for people who are reading your book to come away with that, that question in their mind after they're done. Are, they should spend some time thinking about what they would do if their way of life was drastically altered in a snap. You know, do you know how to survive? Can you adjust to a simpler way of life? And what would you have to do? And these are fantastic tips right here. I mean, the go bag essentials, the life straw, which I was not aware of, the, um, the resource, learning and training to do things and taking advantage of local um, resources, the, the uh, training books and materials on the Internet that you can come up with, and getting in shape and learning self-defense. Those are really, really good tips. 
So I thank yeah. you for that. That's, thank you very much for joining me today, Sarah. Um, day after disaster is certainly, you know, a lot of food for thought uh, in a very entertaining format. So I appreciate your writing it, and I really appreciate your coming on today to be with us. Well, thanks for having me, Susan. I really enjoy talking with you every time. You've got some great questions, and you always get me thinking about new avenues, so I appreciate that as well. All right. I'm glad. You know, in my worldview, success and survival is a continual act of deciding to take actions that move you toward the creation of what you desire. You can choose rainbows over ruins, which is the title of my book, and you can move from disaster back to prosperity. So until the next time, thanks for joining me on your journey to rebuild your life. Have a great day. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shireko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.